Hello and welcome to the Behind the Headlines podcast, brought to you by Bristol's independent media, Bristol 24-7. My name is Betty Woolerton and each week we bring you compelling and fascinating conversations from people all over our amazing city, delving behind the headlines of Bristol's news, culture and more. Eco-anxiety has recently come into the public debate as yet another consequence of the climate emergency. The studies published by the University of Bath in 2021 found it to be prevailing significantly among young people. What's interesting is the experience of climate anxiety, which doesn't always manifest itself in negative feelings or behaviors. The same study showed that for many, it could be a force for taking action to reduce emissions, save energy, buying secondhand, and so on. I talked to Dr. Dan Hare, who is an educational psychologist and senior lecturer at the University of Bristol. He recently published a paper about the climate crisis and its impact on children, young people, and education. We touched upon the impacts of climate change in people's mental health, and we also discussed if Bristolians might be more prone to experience eco-anxiety. So I'm Dan, Dr. Dan O'Hare. I'm an educational psychologist, but I'm also a tutor and senior lecturer at the University of Bristol, and I teach on the, the educational psychologist training course here. But you might you might not know what educational psychologists are. Um, so educational psychologists, we work with families and schools and children and young people, so from 0 to 25, um, really anything to do with like improving learning or well-being. So we might support a young person who's struggling to learn to read or maybe a young person who is feeling really, really low or sad. Um, so maybe like those social emotional needs. And we do a lot of work with families and teachers. Um, so that kind of has the idea that the class teachers or the parents or carers, they're with their young people and children every day. So if we can support them to create positive change, that's probably quite likely to help children as well. So we do lots of different things, but it's yeah, it's broadly about helping children with their learning and their, their well-being. Amazing. So how does this interconnect with eco-anxiety? How did you end up researching and talking about eco-anxiety? Yeah, so I think it was through a piece of work that I was doing in a school. Um, I used to work through a local authority. Um, and the SENCO, so, the, so schools have, have this teacher called a SENCO, a Special Educational Needs Coordinator. So they're the people in the school that are responsible for the education of children who have additional learning needs or, or special educational needs. And one day I arrived at the school and they just started talking to me about one of the young people in their school and about how all they could really focus on was the planet and the environment. Um, and it occupied a lot of their thinking time and a lot of their talking time um, to the extent that it was kind of um, what they were describing is that it was getting in the way of like everyday activities or weekend activities. So, for example, I think it was something like... Um, The young person's parents suggested going to visit their gran, but that meant getting in the car and the young person just couldn't, would not get in the car because of, you know, emissions and, and how it kind of contributed to the, to the, um, I suppose, sort of the, the, the greenhouse effect and warming up the planet and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was, it was that conversation that first kind of, I've always been interested in, in the environment and climate you know I remember like from nine years old when they started recycling on my street in London like I was really we have to recycle and I definitely remember my parents telling me to 
just stop it, leave it out, just chill. Yeah. So I've always been interested in it. But professionally, I think it was just that conversation that started it and kind of started me thinking like all of the worries or, or all of the concerns that that young person had were in a way concerns that I shared as well. And nothing he was saying was seeming like um, it wasn't ridiculous, you know, sort of private cars and emissions. And uh, we're in Bristol now and just introduced the clean air zone, you know, how effective that's going to be. But, you know, that's all about thinking about the emissions of private vehicles in in cities and all of the worries he had about um, the polar regions, about wildlife, about, you know, the health of the planet and and weather they're all kind of things that really I really connected with so it re- I really found it interesting that what the school staff were saying is that he had like I can't remember the terms they used at the time but that he was basically really anxious about the climate and that's how they described it and I kind of thought it was really interesting that it was kind of framed in a way that made it sound like it was his problem like his anxiety rather than like him responding to things the way they actually are. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel like maybe they're not looking at the context and that's something that could happen a lot if younger people are feeling like that, but they are not looking at the general context. So it's it's difficult to like identify that is not something that is just the individual struggling with it. Yeah. Yeah. So so this is this is this is exactly why I got interested in it about how we talk about it as as you know, adults, when we talk about children and we watch children doing the things that I personally think have been fantastic. So, for example, climate strikes and climate marches. And I think children have children and young people have led the way in in raising our awareness of the issues that we as a, a whole species are facing. And I suppose I chuckle a little bit because when you say things like that, it can sound kind of ridiculous. You know, talking about the whole species and humanity and the planet. But children and young people, I think, have really raised our awareness. Um and it seems to me that one of the ways that we've responded to that is to kind of suggest that children and young people are experiencing this thing called climate anxiety or eco-anxiety or whatever whatever it might be, which is really interesting, I think, because when we talk about anxiety, I think we're generally talking about something that we as individuals experience. I have or I feel anxiety, and so I have to deal with it. But often our anxiety is affected by what's going on around us. Um, So, yeah, I feel like there's this tension between do we see anxiety or worry about the climate and the future as an individual problem? Or should we recognise it as a pretty normal reaction to pretty scary stuff that, you know, that, that might and is looking increasingly likely to happen in the near future? So in that sense, do you think eco-anxiety is a, like a quite new term? Because we have recently discovered it in a sense, and we are not talking about older generations, but younger generations being affected by it. So how did eco-anxiety become a term that we now discuss? I don't think the experience of worrying about and having concern for the environment and the planet is new. You know, you've got all this kind of... Um, I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, the 60s, for example, is like, you know, colloquially referred to as like the hippies and the tree huggers. And, and you know, 
wanting to protect the natural world and you know that that those actions must have come from somewhere you know is that an experience of concern is it frustration is it worry so i don't think that the experience of worrying about the world and the planet and you know the the health of planetary systems is new at all i think the term eco-anxiety itself might be quite new um and i wonder if that's about trying to in a way and these are just questions that I have. I don't, you know, I'm not saying this is the case, but I wonder if that's about kind of like taking the person out of the context. So if we can kind of say that this young person has eco-anxiety, we don't have to worry because mm. it's their anxiety. Um, but I think what's, what it's, you know, so I've done some work with colleagues in, in the British Psychological Society uh, on this and one of the things that we discussed is the idea that when we say something like eco-anxiety or climate anxiety I think we're probably referring to a whole load of different emotions so it might be anxiety but it might also be rage anger you know upset worry grief all those sorts of emotional experiences I think come under this general term kind of climate anxiety or eco-anxiety because I think when what I think the research demonstrates is that when people who are kind of connected to the state of the climate and the natural world when they talk about their reactions they don't just talk about anxiety they talk about a whole range of emotions some of them are kind of those i i don't like to say there are negative or positive emotions but some of them are the, the emotions like anxiety sadness worry um anger but others are emotions that kind of kind of stimulate them to do things so the anger might lead to action. It might the frustration might lead to like a desire to want to change things. So I think it's really complex. And I think what I would say is that just reducing it to kind of climate anxiety is probably really reductionist. It probably doesn't capture the the breadth of like what a young person or what what people might be experiencing. Because I don't think it's just young people either. Um, I think you know this idea of being worried about the planet and our life support systems and our natural world it goes across age groups um but i think yeah you're maybe you're tapping into something like like children and young people being much more vocal about it yeah in that sense do you think maybe young people in bristol like a city in a city like bristol that is so full of activists and different initiatives to push for change in terms of climate and basically everything are more prone to suffer from this? Um, I just, I just want to like draw, pick up on the word suffer because when I have talked to children and young people, sort of in schools I've worked in, but also young people here at the University of Bristol, um, I don't think they've described an experience which indicates suffering from climate anxiety. Um, if that's a thing, we, I suppose that's, that's the key. Is it even a thing? But the young people like here at Bristol Uni that I've talked to have talked about kind of, an acceptance that the worry that they experience is normal, um, but it also drives them to want to change things. So I only wanted to pick up on the word suffer because it, it, the experiences that they describe are kind of really closely connected to them wanting to change things and having the energy and the motivation to do it. On the other hand, you know, some some um, some of uh, Bristol students I've spoken to here have talked about that they don't have that energy all the time but actually sometimes they get really drained and really tired and really depressed about what's going on. And I think that ties into 
giving giving yourself permission to step back so you can recharge your batteries and you know so you can focus on what you want to want to tackle um but your question was about bristol particularly like is there something about bristol yeah i don't know that's a really good question i suppose you know the last local elections the the the, the equal biggest party was the green party uh, across the city equal with labor i think it was 12 councillors each or something like that um i know the green party kind of see bristol as maybe a key like a key target seat to get the next Green MP. Um, Bristol has had Greta Thunberg here. Um, there have been uh, youth climate strikes and marches by by children and young people. And maybe maybe Bristol has that like reputation, I suppose, of a bit more activisty, a bit more protesty. Um, and we've seen it like recently in another situation, haven't we? Sort of with the um, the strikes for lecturers and support staff at universities, you know. So maybe you're suggesting like there's a there's a bit of a heritage of of activism and kind of you know being more vocal about these things. Um, yeah, maybe I'm not sure. I mean, there are fantastic resources in the city, aren't there? You know, I'm thinking about We the Curious, for example. Um, I know it's it's. Uh, don't know if it's open yet after the the fire but you know there are resources that really engage children and young people in science the planet nature the environment you know bristol's a great city in terms of its proximity to big natural spaces like devon wales you know gloucestershire all those areas but yeah i don't know that's a really long way of saying i don't know like is it something about bristol um because when you look at like the numbers of children and young people who who went on climate strike I think in 2019 and was it 2019? I think so. You know, millions worldwide. So you know, it wasn't just Bristol. We, you know, particularly, I think young people from countries uh, that are very poor are kind of leading the way as well. Poor financially. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I'm going around in circles. Uh, talking about resources. If someone's experiencing eco-anxiety or these different range of emotions uh, regarding climate change, is there any that anything that they could do to like mm. process what they're feeling? Yeah, that's that's a really good that's a really good question. I think age is a big factor. So I think if if children and young people are younger, um, then the first places they might have those conversations are with parents or carers or with trusted adults at school. Um, I think one of the big things that can be quite difficult and certainly a reflection that I had from um, the teacher in the school I was telling you about is that the young person knew more about climate change and what was happening than a lot of the staff in the school. So I think that was quite a difficulty in them having a conversation because I think he was getting quite frustrated that the adults didn't have the knowledge to engage and talk with him at the same level because he that was his like he was really really passionate about the climate and the environment and he'd obviously done a lot of reading and a lot of watching documentaries so maybe there's something there about if we are thinking about supporting children and young people as adults what's our responsibility to educate ourselves to kind of increase our knowledge of the situation, of the basic science, of the suggested impacts. Um, because I think if a young person is coming to you expressing worry about something that you don't understand, it can be really hard to empathise with them. It can be really hard to kind of show that you accept their emotional experience. So 
that would be, you know, that would be a key thing, I think. If a, if a child is or a young person is kind of saying to you as a parent or carer or a member of school staff that they're really worried about this, I think the first thing is kind of validating that emotion, you know, letting them know that you hear the emotion that they have. So, you know, I can hear this really worries you or sounds like, you know, sounds like climate change is something you're worrying a lot about, something like that that gives them a sense that you hear them. I think if you're older, peers become more important as well. Um, and I think you see that with, with young people when they move sort of into their their sort of adolescent years. So in Bristol, for example, we have, um, there's, there's sort of the Bristol Youth Strike for Climate group. Um, there's the UK School Sustainability Network, which is like a UK-wide type um, uh, organisation. And so I think having a community is really important as well to kind of recognise that you're not alone, um, that there are other people and you can have resources in that community. So, you know, people to talk to, to vent to, to plan, to create ideas. So it's it's difficult because I don't want to accidentally start reinforcing the idea that if a child or young person is worried about the climate and the planet, then they need to, you know, have CBT or cognitive behavioural therapy or something like that to deal with that worry. Because I suppose that worry is really, it makes sense. It's pretty scary if we think about sort of, you know, the degradation of the natural world, if we think about pollution, if we think about species loss, they're really scary and worrying things. So I wouldn't want to kind of say that if somebody has this anxiety, they can, you know, I'll go and get therapy for it. I think what we have to do is actually do stuff about it, do stuff about the climate crisis. That That's harder. It's much longer term. It's more expensive. But children often talk about feeling like they're not listened to and not enough is happening. So I think when we think about supporting children or young people who might be experiencing a range of emotions, we should be really thinking about what are we actually doing to tackle the climate crisis? Are we letting children and young people know that this is what we're doing? Can we show them the impact these things have had? Because I think it's that gap that often can create some of those emotions. You know, I'm not being listened to, nothing's happening and I feel worse. So I suppose it's 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 all of that tied together rather than just thinking about you know, in inverted commas, treating the young person. Yeah, that leads me to my other question that is there anything that public policies could do to address this particular issue or is it more like they should be tackling climate change instead of focusing our, on this particular mental health crisis, if we could call yeah. it that way? Probably both. <laughs> I feel like that was probably a, yeah, that was an inevitable answer. Um, yes, clearly organizations have to consider a range of things and as I say like making it clear what they're doing how they're doing it and what the impact is is probably very helpful but also supporting children and young people is really key so that's that's obviously I'm an educational psychologist like that's kind of my my area of focus and interest um but often the support comes from other adults um so um I recently have written a paper about the climate crisis and children and young people and educational psychology and one of the things I talk about in there is I think it was in 2020 all the children's commissioners from England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland uh wrote to the UN and talked about how there's a real lack of child voice in all policy areas in the United Kingdom. Um so what do I mean by that? I mean there's a real lack of opportunity for children to share their experiences. But most importantly, there's a real lack of opportunity for children's experiences and voices to influence what's happening. Um, being ignored, I think, is just as important as, as in terms of a potentially negative effect on somebody than 
than nothing happening at all. Maybe there's that sense of like, we do get asked about what we what our thoughts are, but nothing happens. So we've just had COP27 um, in Egypt. And for the first time, there was a children and youth pavilion there um, in the in the um, in the zone at COP27, where all the ministers and heads of states are and all the policymakers. And there was lots of positivity that came out of that. I was following their Twitter feed and looking at sort of the things they were talking about. But it also struck me that some of the young people that were there were talking about how it was great to be there, but they weren't talking to anybody that could make any decisions. That nobody was, none of the ministers were coming to speak to them, none of the, none of the sort of the, the big policy movers and shakers. So I suppose in a sense, yeah, you've got a platform. A platform for what? What does it matter if you can't talk to the people that you really need to talk to? So I suppose one of the key things I would advocate is that not only do we listen to children and young people's views, but we work with them to show them how their views and their ideas change things. So that that integration between sort of thinking about young people, but that's the same for adults, right? You know, you get asked your opinion and then nothing happens. You end up feeling frustrated. And why did I even get asked? So I think, you know, if we that involvement of children and young people and taking their views seriously is really key. I think not having it taken seriously is even more detrimental when they're already a large proportion of them are already worried about the climate and the planet. Yeah. And lastly, um, what do you think comes next in terms of eco anxiety? What can we expect from this discussion and from the kids that are experiencing it? God, that's a good question. Hopefully a much a much broader recognition that um, whatever we're calling climate anxiety or eco-anxiety is a reaction to inaction, if that makes sense. So it's pretty obvious that governments and global organisations around the world are just not doing enough to curb CO2 emissions, for example. And I suppose one of the big successes of governments and large organisations is making people feel that they're individually responsible for all of this. That's not to say that individual action isn't important. Of course it is. But it's going to need much bigger action than the level of the individual. Um, so I would hope if we're thinking about children's reactions to um, the climate crisis, I would hope that we recognise that when children and young people are expressing anger or worry or frustration, that's telling us something. Is it telling us that they don't feel that they're being listened to? Is it telling us that they're really angry at the lack of action in their local area? Is it telling us that they don't trust the adults that are in charge, whether that be politicians or organisational leaders or whoever it might be? I think we need to look beyond this very simplistic notion of climate anxiety to really ask okay, we know young people are worried or we know they're frustrated. What is that experience telling us about everything around them? Is it at a local level? Is it at a global level? How can we involve them in our conversations and discussions? I think I'm also really aware, however, that there are some children and young people where worrying about the climate and the planet and species and environments, where they worry to such an extent that it kind of gets in the way of normal everyday life where they might feel totally hopeless. Um, they might feel kind of these apocalyptic feelings. Um, so I have spoken to a couple of young people who have talked about those experiences where they just feel like um, there's no point, 
there's no point sort of even campaigning because nothing's changing. They get really low. They don't want to leave their house. You know, I think that's when, obviously that's kind of, again, I don't want to say that that's, that kind of reaction doesn't make sense. If we're thinking about sort of huge planetary disaster, that does make sense. Um, but obviously that's really concerning if a young person is experiencing anxiety or low mood to such an extent that it's in, it's really getting in the way of their friendships, their schooling, their university work. That's when I would say, actually, maybe it's time to, to reach out to a trusted adult or to think about how um, psychological therapies might help. One of the things I would say, though, is that it's really important for psychologists and therapists to do a lot of work on themselves about where they sit in relation to the climate crisis. Do they understand it? Do they understand their own reactions? How do they feel? So I think if you were thinking about, you know, if you were a uni student, let's say, you know, you were 18, 25 or something, and you were thinking about, yeah, I, I really need to talk to someone like this. One of the things I'd say is like, can you, can you, if you're Googling, like, you know, who can I talk to? There are obviously lots of resources out there. I'm thinking about mind, um, as an example, but if you're looking to talk to a professional, can you ask that professional or explore? Does that professional kind of do they have a focus on climate-related sort of emotional experiences? Have they gone through that journey themselves? Because I think it then feels a bit more real, mm-hmm. rather I'm having a conversation with someone who's done this work themselves, and and that's about us as adults doing that personal work. So earlier I talked about adults educating themselves, but I think as psychologists and therapists and counsellors. We also have to do work on ourselves about what impact does all this have on me? Do I believe it? You know, do I think it's as big as issue as children and young people do? If you don't, how does that affect your work with them? So, yeah, it's, it's, I don't want to pretend that there aren't people, and, I don't, and it's not just children and young people, I don't want to pretend that there aren't people who are really, really sort of experiencing difficult experiences in terms of their, their, their fear and their anger and their sort of, you know, their sadness or grief about what what is happening currently around the world and, and what looks like it will continue to happen. Um, but it's I don't think it's as simple as just, you know, they can go to therapy and it's fine. I think there's there's those aspects of well, who can you connect to a community, for example? Is there a local group? Can you spend more time in nature, for example? So nature connectedness is is I think has been associated with sort of pro environmental behaviours in research. If you do need to support from a professional, can you check out whether that professional has has done that work on themselves and think their own thinking about the climate and the planet? So all those sorts of things, I think, can can help. Amazing. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Bristol 24-7 Behind the Headlines podcast. I've been Betty Woolerton. And if you do want to support independent journalism in Bristol, please do consider becoming a member for just £5 a month or £45 a year by heading to our website, which is bristol247.com. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode.